Today's program has been brought to you by White Oak Pastures, a five-generation Georgia-based beef and poultry farm determined to conduct business in an honorable manner. For more information, visit whiteoakpastures.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, everybody. My name is Patrick Martins. This is a live edition of the main course, unless it's being played in the future, in which case it is not a live edition, but it's live right now. It's March 31st, 2013. It's my mother's birthday. Um, Happy birthday. I think she was born in like 1976 or something like that. And... um, I am really happy to be here. I really want to thank White Oak Pastors for sponsoring us and thank Joe for coming in and engineering. Hey, Joe. Hello, Patrick. How's it going? I can only hear out of one ear. So is that you in there or is that just these uh, mic? uh, Might be the headphones. Headphones, yeah. Um, Well, anyway, this is a big day. We're going to have a good show today. We're going to talk to Jonathan Justice, who owns a Justice Drugstore, a very good restaurant in a very small town in Missouri, kind of near Kansas City, but, you know, a lot closer to Trimble. The town is Smithville. And, uh, you know, it's part of this trend of uh, good chefs and new restaurants opening in places other than the downtowns of big cities. So it's kind of like the, make you know, be- America becoming more of a foodie place. So, Today is Easter. Happy Easter. Joe? Joe, you there? I'm here. Happy Easter. Happy Easter to you. So what happened? Uh, Jesus revived from the dead, right, today? That's what happened. So So they say. Today, yeah, I'm pretty sure it happened. Um, So I think today, to honor that, I will predict the future. Because, you know, the future, they say he's going to come again. And, you know, it's just a time to reflect, but also to look towards the future. Jesus being, uh, you know, born for a second time. So I thought I would predict what the food world is going to look like in the year 2222. Have you ever thought that far, Joe? Is that far ahead? No, I don't think I have. But, uh... Because if you had a son right now, let's say you impregnated your girlfriend and he was born in nine months, he would live to at least the year 2100. Yeah, probably. And and his son would probably live to the year 2150. His son would live to the year 2200. So that's your grandson. No, that's your great-grandson. My great-grandson. Uh, we'll live to 20. And his son will be, you know, a little bit older than middle-aged in the year 2,222. So I was thinking, what would things look like in the year 2,222? And I have Joe who's going to help me with a, a beautiful sound effect. Um, all right, let's begin. In the year 2,222. I think that there's going to be a lot more citrus and even coffee grown in the United States. Global warming trends are basically going to allow those types of foods, bananas, oranges, and, you know, coffee beans, you know, to be, you know, 
those are traditionally things that are grown, I think, a little bit closer to the equator or in hotter temp- hotter temperature areas. So now I think that's going to move north, helping further spiral countries like Brazil and African countries, you know, into kind of a state of chaos because now we'll be producing uh, foods. And for foods that do not grow well in hotter environments, uh, you know, maybe we're going to have to change our agricultural traditions here. And uh, the crops that we used to rely on, maybe we won't rely on as much if temperatures keep going up. So for nutrients, uh, we will get more accustomed to eating pills that contain all the nutrients uh, for the foods that we can no longer raise. In the year 2222, states will actually, big farms in states will actually specialize in certain foods. So all the oranges will be grown, you know, in certain states. All the tomatoes will be grown in certain states. And they'll kind of be specialization of certain foods. So each state will become much more, especially farm states, much more associated with intensive crops of certain foods. But I think that the most diverse farms uh, will occur, uh, will basically pop up very close to big cities in protected tents or on roofs like our friend uh, Ben Flanner in the Brooklyn Grange. Uh, you know, and cities will fuel uh, these uh, crops, these diverse crops, and the farmers who man these farms will come from different countries like Vietnam or Mexico and they will start raising foods that are traditionally grown there uh, for personal reasons but it will help to diversify the cuisines and the ingredients available in big cities in the year 2222 a new fad diet will be the prairie tall grass diet where individuals eat certain edible variety of wild plants that the earth grows on its own in places like the Flint Hills of Kansas. Um, and we will actually return a little bit more to the foods that uh, the American Indians ate. And on the meat level, steaks are essentially going to become uh, once a year items. You know, you won't no longer see the outback, you know, uh, being, you know, pushing steaks quite as much. I mean, steaks are going to be a much more rare delicacy in the year 2222. And instead of big, like 18 ounce steaks and steakhouses in every city, you're going to see a lot more kind of curries, stews, goat is going to appear on menu. Lamb, you know, will be eaten ground lamb like they do in Middle Eastern restaurants, you know, the kibe and, uh, you know, meatballs and ragu sauce and things like that, you know, that involve ground up meat uh, are going to become much more uh, popular. Um, but the chicken will actually an unbelievable revolution will happen around the chicken and it'll almost be like it'll be sold and traded much like tulips were in Holland, I think in the 1600s where there were these huge bidding wars and like stock market uh, systems growing for how they would deal with tulip markets. Michael Pollan writes that about that in his book, Botany of Desire. And uh, it will, I think poultry will become the new 
tulip and everyone will be breeding their own breeds on their rooftops in their homes they'll be buying breeders for thousands and thousands of dollars they're going to be poultry shows they're going to be magazines dedicated to who and which city actually uh you know is responsible for the best chickens. Um, it's going to be almost like uh, the Johnny Appleseed movement for apples. And, you know, the reason, of course, is that chickens are easy to grow and they're going to, you know, reach much better gastronomic heights thanks to the future. <clears throat> In the year 2222, restaurant culture will change. Uh, certain areas like uh, that traditionally housed great restaurants won't even really have that much business. For instance, downtown Manhattan, rising water will push a lot of those restaurants out of those neighborhoods. And, you know, a little bit upstate, maybe 45 minute, one hour drive north, you know, on higher land. And uh, you're not only going to have great restaurants concentrated in certain few neighborhoods. And what will pop up in the city are kind of mess hall kind of like german beer garden restaurants uh you know where hundreds of people can sit at long benches and long tables and i do predict that beer will surpass wine as the kind of beverage of choice at these restaurants and i think that chefs and farmers will be counted in the census counts uh in the same category uh you know because chefs will essentially have to be farmers too and uh, they'll like own lots in the various agricultural spaces on roofs and stuff like that. And each restaurant will have its little, you know, 10 meter by 10 meter spot and can grow on it, whatever it would like. So, um, I don't know. I kind of, um, think that, uh, you know, that's a, an interesting prediction of the future. And I will say this franchises will actually become good things. You will see, uh, you know, an evolution of all these businesses, whether it be Heritage Foods or Saxon Beach Cheesemongers or the Meat Hook, uh, you know, all these places will start to open up various outlets. And then you're going to have basically franchises is going to become a good word because it's going to be from slow ethic businesses. And uh, you're going to see ballparks and universities actually have better food thanks to this growth of, you know, artisan franchises. And uh, McDonald's will no longer have a consistent product around the world because it's not going to be able to marshal the forces like it is, you know, as it soils the nest. It's not going to be able to marshal those forces anymore. So they're going to have to rely on more regional acquisition of meats and working with regional slaughterhouses. And that's going to make their cheeseburgers taste a little bit different in each place. They're going to fall in stature here and rise in the third world. But in the year 2,422, they'll be phased out of there as well. And Golden Arches will only be used uh, rather than to advertise a restaurant, just to prop up organic food tents that are uh, grown in cities around the world. So what do you think, Joe? Any of that possible? I think a lot of that's pretty possible. All right. Well, thank you. That was very, very nice. Uh, Very nice sound effect. And uh, I'm really excited that... uh, If anyone is still listening, it'd be a miracle, but that would be very exciting. And uh, I will take a short break, and then we're going to call in with Jonathan Justice of Justice Drugstore in Smithville, Missouri.
White Oak Pastures is the only farm in the United States that has its own USDA-inspected red meat abattoir or slaughterhouse and its own USDA-inspected poultry abattoir or slaughterhouse. We partner with Whole Foods to deliver our high-quality meat and poultry from Miami, Florida, all the way to Princeton, New Jersey. One family, one farm, five generations, 145 years. A full circle return to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. For more information, please visit our website, whiteoakpastures.com. You're listening to Home of Emptiness by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Wow, Jonathan Justice, uh, don't take that the wrong way. Home of Emptiness. God, what a song name. But uh, welcome to Heritage Radio Network. Hello, hello. Yeah, Hey, Patrick, how are you doing? Hey, Jonathan, how's it going over there? Oh, it's going fine. It's going fine. It's a beautiful day. So tell me, where are we calling? Because uh, we want to know exactly the terroir in which the chef lives that we're going to be talking to for the next uh, 15, 20 minutes. I would say, um, in the broadest of terms, uh, flyover country, uh, more specifically, uh, in the very center um uh, Smithville, Missouri. Actually, I live in Paradise, Missouri, which is a little village of about 20 homes um, in rural Clay County, Missouri, outside of uh, Kansas City. And uh, why do they call it uh, Paradise? I mean, is that the same reason why Paradise Locker Meets, the famous heritage mm-hmm. abattoir, is called Paradise? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, paradise uh, Meets used to be uh, about a block from where I live, and when they outgrew their facility, they moved over to the much larger ville of Trimble, <laughs> which is all uh, about 500 people. Yeah, 500 um, people. Paradise, yeah, they doubled in size. Uh, there's a story that says Paradise used to be called Ogdenville, and, um, but uh, uh, the postmaster at the time said there were so many churches in, in the little village that it should be called Paradise. <laughs> How many churches per person? I don't know. I think about then it was probably uh, how many churches per person. How about people per church? Um, uh, probably uh, not much more than ten or fifteen. Wow! Was, uh, like I said, there's only well, I, I don't know how many people live here? Maybe forty, fifty people live in this village, and there used to be uh, one, two, three, four churches. Um, there's still two churches remaining. This is uh, the northern edge of the Bible Belt. Northern Edge of the Bible Belt. And, of course, in a few minutes, we're going to talk about how your family had a pharmacy there and you converted it into a critically acclaimed award-winning restaurant. But let's still stick with this terroir thing. So I know there's a big thing called Smithville Lake and a certain fish come out of there. But tell us uh, one more step into the terroir. Temperatures, what's grown there? Is it mostly agricultural? Just to kind of contextualize uh, where you are cooking, because I know it's very important for you to use the local resources you have. So explain what those are. Well, um, this is an area that is fairly extreme temperatures. Um, we are, um, Paradise is right off of the lake. Uh, there are, it's handy for us because on this side of the lake, 
there is uh, about 30,000 acres of parkland uh, at the restaurant. We do a massive amount of foraging. Uh, we've had a full-time botanist uh, with us uh, for about four and a half years. The restaurant's been open for six. We also have a full-time environmental scientist. Um, it is not great. It, it, it's not like it's uh, Kansas or Iowa. Kansas, where you have the massive wheat fields and and Iowa, where you have corn that goes for miles and miles, which is a hilly area. Uh, the county that we live in is called Clay County. Um, not the greatest soil. A lot of rocky outcrops. Um, this area was not where, you know, again, out in Kansas back in the uh, of the days uh, when they first started building the railroads where you had these um, people were driving down from Texas and Oklahoma out in Kansas. They had the big cattle ranches and would drive the the uh, herds of cattle up to Kansas City where, they, where the um, stockyards were. This area is really, honestly, has always been about the pig. Um, this, it was easier to raise uh, bovine here. I mean, excuse me, it's easy. Uh, it's easier to raise um, swine pig than it was swine. Thank you. Than it was uh, cattle. This is not big cattle area. It's not good row crop area. Um, my my family on both sides of my family, both my mother and my father, have been in this area for over 170 years. 170. Um, wow. And you trace that yeah. all the way back through books, or is it just carried through the whole family chain? Oh, it's uh, the property where the restaurant is has been in my family for 173 years, about three towns over my mother's family, um, who were, they were pig farmers. That farm, um, my family was bought in uh, 1838, so even uh, 175 years. And so uh, I, have, I do have deep roots here, whether I like it or not. <laughs> wow, so fascinating. So <clears throat> tell us about this botanist. Again, I like starting from the terroir and then coming down to you. So you grow up in this, you know, pig-centric, not necessarily good agriculture, but then you have these national parks, these protected areas. What are you foraging in there? What naturally grows in the middle of the country? Well, you know, it, how do I even begin with this? I, I tell you, what grows here is not what grows, you know, say in New York or upstate New York or in Northern California, where I lived for you know for almost two decades, it it's it's um, it obviously has this very very particular set of things that grow here, and here even more so. We live in a little area that is called Little Dixie, and when I was growing up, I thought that was talking about more of a of a a, a term of um, a social and economic, but it, it, it's not. It's really a term of flora and fauna, and flora in particular. The area where we live was formed by the edge of the last great glacier that came down out of uh, the Arctic in Canada. And as this glacier came down, it was like a like a giant bulldozer. And when it when it stopped and started receding, formed the Missouri River. The Missouri River is a very odd river in that it runs for a great distance north and south, and then it gets to the uh, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska. Um, uh, border, which currently is, and just a little bit further south of that, it makes a great bend to the east and runs east and west until it hits the Mississippi River. And that corner was uh, formed by the edge of the glacier as it came down and receded. Well, as, this glacier, as the glacier receded, it dropped off the edge of it all kinds of minerals and stones 
and seeds, for that matter, of plants that were from not from this area. Huh. And so there's a belt that runs from where we are, a little bit to our west, but more to our east also, that have flora that don't grow in other places around here. And don't actually, a lot of them don't exist up where they originally came from, from up in Canada anymore. So it's interesting. You could almost draw a parallel to that, to <clears throat> what kind of Kansas City represents anyway, which is like a kind of connector uh, of, of, of everything because, you know, it was like the center of the meat industry for so long. So it is definitely a meeting point for um, interesting things. So is that what you forage, these unusual items, and is that what people will see on your menu? I mean, let's start to transition a little bit into the food aspects and how you use it. Well, there are, you know, things that grow here, obviously. I mean, some of them grow in other places. We uh, we used to, literally, I went out into the woods and would gather items. And as, over time, I started thinking about, well, basically, <laughs> the, how efficient or inefficient, I should say, the foraging is. And I'm, I'm going to get a little bit to, you know, why we eat what we eat. And when... My ancestors and most of the people that live on this continent's ancestors came from Europe. Um, but I'm going to even back up further than that, actually. In the rest of the world, when we went from a hunter-gatherer society into an agrarian society, we were gathering food for uh, nutritive, uh, flavor, uh, preservative, um, uh, medicinal qualities. And as we started to plant, these plants that we were eating, that we were gathering in rows as we were moving into the agrarian society, and this happened all around the world, we found plants that had the qualities that we were look, looking for, and we'd plant the seeds of that particular plant, and we developed the modern cultivars that we have today. When the Europeans came to the Americas and they looked at the Native Americans, they said, well, you're godless heathens, and you're... <laughs> it's a little... Um, uh, pertaining, I guess, uh, to the Indian Easter, like they look, uh, they said that you're you're not um, your food is not blessed by Christ or Savior, and that uh, and therefore not blessed by God, and we're not going to eat what you eat because it's not good Christian food. Mm-hmm. And so we brought everything with us. If you take the small band of potatoes, tomatoes, squash, peppers, and corn out of what we eat today, very little of what we eat is from here. And so there's an entire world of food that is here that is uh um that was always been here that's never been brought into modern cultivation so what we're doing now on the property around our house um uh with the people around us with uh chris Knatzer and uh Derek kofeld we're taking these wild plants and we've planted them on the property and we're starting to develop our own cultivars hmm. And what are you doing? Uh, that's very, very interesting. Uh, tell us what's the scope of the farm, and does it supply uh, other places other than your restaurant? Well, um, the farm is tiny. It's a micro farm. Uh, we're using techniques that were actually originally developed uh, to uh, do rooftop gardening in uh, in, in Brooklyn specifically. Um, we're uh, doing a very, a very um, uh, intensively... Uh, um, you know, because of the, of the small area that we're working on, um, we've got things that are planted um, uh, of, of an incredible diversity, and 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 as far as uh, the proximity, the plants are very very close together. So we're, we're working on, on this property where I live, about an acre and a half 
although we have another five-acre property that is dedicated only to the restaurant and another about two acres that is dedicated to the restaurant, but we're in three locations. Uh, currently, we are only growing for ourselves, but I think in about another year or two, we are going to have more than we can handle on our own, and we will be um, selling outside of the restaurant. And, and we're growing things uh, that some of them are fairly common in this area, Epizote, which most people think of as a Mexican uh, herb, is native here, and it's in the same family as Goosefoot, which quinoa comes from, and lamb's quarters, and we grow all of those. Um, I think we'll have a viable quinoa crop in Probably not. I don't know if this year we may, but next year definitely. Um, we're growing uh, things, things that you wouldn't even think of about being this area, like wild shiso grows here, bergamot grows here, but they're very different than the cultivars, like say that shiso has in Japan or bergamot from the, the British Isles. You got to rename it with like Trimble. Name one like the Mario <laughs> or, or, the, right. or the Nick. The Nick, you know, that's funny. Uh, um, Nick Phantasma, um, and so I had no idea not too long ago. I had someone who was just from Italy, and we were talking about Paradise Meats, and I said something about Nick Phantasma, and this guy started to laugh hilariously. And he says, really? His name is Nick Phantasma, and apparently Nick Phantasma is a famous Italian comic book character, Nick the Ghost. Oh, well, yes, it's funny, because you know why they were named the Ghost. Mario's grandfather was left at a doorstep, so the people that took him in were like, we'll give him the last name Phantom. Because that's who we think brought it. So um, I, yeah, I had that, no idea. I yeah, didn't know that. That is a funny story. So you know, um, I've known those guys forever, by the way. That's you know when. Um, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. So uh, we're talking about Paradise Locker Meats, which you can, I think, maybe in ten, twenty years, people will liken to Berkeley, California. Uh, for you know the heart of the heritage movement, the essentially if if, if Berkeley is organic uh, movement and heirloom seeds and things of that nature, I think Trimble will actually be known in, in the Kansas City area as an epicenter for the rare breed genetic diversity movement. And Paradise is right at the center of that, through because they process you know all the beef all the pigs, all the goats, all the lamb, and even Frank Reese's Good Shepherd Turkey Ranch turkeys come through that facility. Um, so <clears throat> just to contextualize, so tell us what you were going to say. You've known them forever? Uh, I've known them forever. You know, I, I grew up here, and, um, and I couldn't wait to leave here. I, uh, the day after I graduated from high school, um, I moved to Southern California because I wanted to go somewhere where I could have complete anonymity in Los Angeles. Uh, embodied that for me, and after I realized that I, uh, no offense to anyone, Angelinos, but after I realized how much I thought Los Angeles sucked, I moved up to San Francisco after graduating from our school and uh, lived in San Francisco a very long time. I was a bicycle messenger in San Francisco for 15 years, and uh, um, but those guys, you know, used to come back and visit, and they had their, uh, their back then it was just a meat locker in Paradise, and uh, and, and it was, it's interesting for me to have watched the evolution and the growth of Paradise Meats because they were this small meat locker that they bought here in this little village of Paradise. And then as they started to realize, you know, maybe what what could be possible. And I think, you know, specifically after they met you and, uh, and after you started to show them, you know, the possibility and the, not just the possibility, but, but looking at biodiversity and, and, you know, really, if it weren't for, when you think about the 
the, the hog. Now, before World War II, um, the fat on a pig was worth more than the meat was. And that fat was used in munitions and industrial applications and cosmetics and research and development into uh, petroleum during World War II got people to, or didn't get people to, it um, it, it uh, found replacements for those fats in, you know, petroleum-based products. And after World War II, the market fell out on the hog market, and pig farmers lost their shirts. So the National Pork Association, over the next 50 years, actively sought to breed the fat out of the pig and, and to homogenize the animal. And by the 1990s, when you had, you know, the pork, the other, the other white meat campaign, there wasn't a restaurant in the country that was serving pork anymore because it was just not any good. Mm-hmm. And if it weren't for these farmers around here specifically that for just bragging rights, and not just around here, but around the country, that you know that were breeding animals and showing them at county and state fairs, we would have lost these lineages. I mean, this is a long time before um, the American Livestock Conservancy you know, that was actively trying to uh, promote biodiversity and animal husbandry. But, um, and you mentioned this earlier. I'm going to back up just a little bit about uh, hopefully, you know, someday. <laughs> uh, I do think of Smithville as being the Berkeley of the Midwest, actually. Uh, Not Smithville, Trimble. <laughs> well, they're they're virtually next to each other. You can't. That, that's like saying um, College Avenue in Oakland is, uh, is separated from Berkeley. I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're pretty much, you can't separate the two. But there are a couple of other projects that are going on here that people should check into. The Factor E Farm, that is F-A-C-T-O-R uh, E Farm. There's people from uh, MIT and Cornell and uh, Caltech that have um, bought, they've built a farm very near us where they are doing open source technology to uh, help people build the things that you need. Uh, in a sustainable way and build things that operate in a sustainable way to operate farms. And then there's the Land Institute in Salina, Kansas, which is not what? very far away at all from um, uh, from Good Shepherd, from Frank Lisa's operation. That's uh, Wes Jackson, you know, talking about yeah, perennials right. and the importance right. of the Earth's food. Absolutely, absolutely. And and this that's happening right here. And, um, uh, um, you know, my wife and I are here not because... Uh, Believe me, I mean, we were gone along. I was gone a long time. My wife is not from here. And we're not here because we thought we would open this restaurant where we were doing obscure, crazy food in the Midwest because we thought we were going to get rich. We did this because we felt like the change that we thought we could offer, and this is incredibly pretentious, needed to happen here. So now how are they reacting to it? I mean, I understand what your mission is because for people who have not been to Justice Drugstore, like one appetizer dish might have four, five, six things in it, and each one local, and each one has a story. I mean, sometimes the, I mean this in a nice way, the longest part of a meal could be you explaining everything in it, you know? And and no, I find that it's a certain type of cuisine, but it's fine dining. It goes in a special place. Now, of course, recently you've opened more of a, I I say, quote-unquote, lower-end snack food place, which means it's really accessible to anyone seven days a week. But talk about the high-end place. Uh, It's like going to Danielle Baloud or uh, Del Posto. So how is that being reacted to by the locals, who I presume are your main business? Well, I'm a, one of this is two. I'm give you a two-part answer. One of them is that when we decided to do this here, you know, we'd come visit Kansas City. You know, I lived in San Francisco, or 
when we were back, and we've done, I've lived in France twice, I would say, you know, there are great meals there and there's great ethnic food, but it felt like that on the higher end. And there are, you know, for whatever the beard is worth, I mean, there are five uh, beard winner um, chef-owned restaurants in Kansas City. And I felt like that the chefs here were afraid to be Midwestern. There was, like, people doing great Italian derivative and doing French derivative, people doing what was happening in New York five years ago. But it never felt like I had a meal here that was about here. And when we opened the restaurant, I said, you know, I'm going to do food that is culturally and geographically about here. And I call it country food on steroids. And and now I think, you know, doing regional food has become, in a very short time, a very big thing. But, I, you know, when we started this, I don't think anyone was doing, you know, what they would call oat Midwestern or, you know, or, uh, um, you know, you have, you know, there's the Southern Food Alliance, but there's, uh, but there's, there's really nothing like that in this area. And so we started thinking about, well, what does that entail? But what about truffles? They don't say anything about here. Lobster doesn't say anything about here or capers. Um, so we started actively looking to develop resources and develop products that are, that we felt that were about here. So we've been, for the past, uh, especially since we started the farm, looking at things like, what can we pickle that would be a replacement that would get us, like, the brininess of, of say, a caper? And we've uh, been looking at bee balm as kind of what we've honed in on that seems to work really well, which is uh, um, uh, the fourth and the three sister plants, actually. But when we first opened, I wasn't really sure how we were going to be accepted, but... I get a lot of people that look at the menu and they kind of freak out because they've never seen anything like it. And honestly, not even just from here. I have people from New York or from the coast, from uh, San Francisco or Chicago that look at the menu and say, this is not like any menu I've seen. But the locals, when they tasted it, they said, this has this, you know, it feels familiar, but it's manifested in a way that I've never seen before, which may not be the actual... Um, terminology in the local vernacular that was used, but uh, but I, I think that because the food I do is grounded in something that is about here, when I say about here, you know, I, I grew up on, this area is about chicken fried steaks and fried pork tenderloins, but I'm not talking about that country food, I'm talking about the country food before World War II, uh, which changed everything as far as the way we eat, in particular, well, not just in the Midwest, but everywhere in, in this country, but when my great-grandfather on my mother's side, you know, when they, when they, um, when, you know, when they, uh, harvested a pig, they ate everything that wasn't because they were trying to do cool nose to tail. It's because you had to. I mean, you had to eat everything on it. And, and you had to can and pickle and preserve because if you were going to get through the winter, you hadn't had any kind of variety in your, in your meal. It had to come from the summertime. And the winters here can be very, very harsh. So, when we opened, we knew that was going to be a big part of what we're doing. We do do all of our own canning, pickling, and drying. We are extremely busy over the summer. And I had to actually build uh, a separate building to house uh, everything that we preserve over the summer to start using out over the winter. So, you know, right now I have a, a salad that has um, uh, pickled um, uh, pickled blueberries that, uh, you know, that were from last uh, last summer's bounty. I've got blackberries on my menu also at the moment that from that were local uh, wild black raspberries, uh, service berries. Um, uh, although it's not native.
Very, very interesting. So uh, now, do you hunt? I'm sorry, do I hunt? Yeah, um, and fish. What do you have? You have a crappie, right? I have a right? BB gun. You have a BB gun. That, that's a no. So uh, crappie, right? Is that the main yeah. fish in Smithville Lake? No. Yeah, it is. You know, I love crappie. They are, it is such an amazing fish. And um, from the beginning, we, you know, I, I didn't plan on doing seafood because, you know, when I get on the roof here, I don't see an ocean. And my background is seafood. Before here, uh, I was an executive chef in the south of France, right on the Mediterranean. Before that, um, I was uh, working in Paris. And before that, I was executive chef of a place called the Liberties in San Francisco. My background is seafood. But it doesn't make any sense. If you want to do food about here, I mean, it, then what is scallops or oysters or lobster or crab say about Kansas City? Absolutely nothing. But you're right, crappie. Well, I like to. I always like. To, I always like to say crappie. Crappie is the shit, and porgy is the best. <laughs> yeah, crappie is. It is so good. It is such an amazing fish, and I wish we could farm raise it. Unfortunately. Um, its uh, feed to output ratio is something like seventeen to one. It is it, they they are voracious appetites for the amount that they grow, and uh, unfortunately, trying to raise them uh, commercially is is not viable at so, least from it, uh, seemingly anyway. Let me ask you this: Then uh, you are part of a new breed of uh, basically you are slow fooding a place that had only had fast food franchises open over the past. 50 years. So um, can you name two or three other contemporaries of yours in the Kansas City area who you admire uh, and think are doing great things? Because we always like to say all boats rise with the high tide. So uh, there is more than just you in Smithville. Uh, can you just speak to other places that you eat and that you respect in the in your area? Yeah, you know, um, Howard Hanna has a place called the Rieger Hotel. Um, they and ourselves also do extreme handcrafted cocktails from local ingredients. Howard uh, spent quite a bit of time in Manhattan. He was um, first in his class at the CIA in a four-year program and uh, was at uh, Gramercy Tavern and Union Square Cafe. And uh, his his restaurant is a little bit more of um, maybe a little bit more of an Italian derivative, although it's definitely food about the Midwest. I think he's doing uh, some great food. Um, Colby Girls, who's uh, um, nominated seven times for a beard, I, I really hope he wins this year. He deserves to. Uh, he's like the Susan Lucci of James Beard. She never won. <laughs> he, is, he is, and if he heard this conversation, he would kick my ass. <laughs> but it's absolutely true. He knows it. But... Uh, um, his restaurant, Blue Sam, I think they, from when they opened, which was uh, a couple of years before we got back from France, uh, he was kind of dabbling in the idea of food about the Midwest and his restaurant, um, uh, Blue Sam, and recently opened a restaurant that is definitely much more purist than we are because it's just down-home country food. He's opened a restaurant called Rye uh, that is, is quite good. Um, I think over at the American, there's a woman, Debbie Gold, who uh, is uh, a great chef that uh, spent her time at uh, Charlie Trotter's up in New York. Before, uh, I'm sorry, in Chicago. Yeah, uh, now a long uh, time ago before coming here, the American, also, the American was uh, 
Joe Baum's restaurant, right? The American was right. Joe Baum's restaurant, very old American restaurant. People Absolutely. Uh, out, out of that restaurant, Bradley Ogden in San Francisco uh, was discovered by Julia Child at the American uh, probably 30 years ago, uh, maybe 35 years ago. And also in town, someone's a little bit less heralded. <laughs> Her food is, is uh, fabulous. Is Jennifer Maloney, who spent time uh, cooking with... Uh, uh, Mario Vitale back on the West Coast uh, many, many years ago when they were young and uh, um, when they were in their 20s. And she... Cafe Sebastian? Absolutely. Hey, yeah, you know your Kansas City restaurants. Yeah, you know, it's a really... Her food is solid. It's really good. And, uh, and like I said, I don't think she doesn't get the... Um, uh, because it's in a museum, maybe, she doesn't get quite the attention to some of the other restaurants, but uh, um, that's a great restaurant. <laughs> best brunch in Kansas City, for sure. And then it's I hear, of course, Lydia Bastianich, we mustn't forget, the Absolutely. grandmother of oh, yeah. uh, Italian cuisine. And then there's this guy, Beard, Michael Beard, right, who's in Lawrence, who oh, I yeah. hear Ma- uses... Michael Beard is 715 over in Lawrence, which is um, a little just a little further out of the Kansas City market than I am, but definitely still part of the same market. And uh, he's uh, doing uh, great food over uh, in Lawrence, Kansas, which is uh, uh, maybe the only serious liberal bashing, uh, bashing in that state. Wow. All right. Look at you getting in a little politics there. Well, Mario Fantasma <laughs> just clicked off the internet. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, I do very much appreciate you taking time. I know you were probably up late last night. I uh, love uh, your restaurant. I was just uh, on a tour with uh, eight chefs, and of course, we stopped at your restaurant and uh, had an appetizer extravaganza. And I recommend everybody to fly to Kansas City, go to the agriturismos that exist there, and visit Paradise, eat at Justice and these other great restaurants. Uh, Kansas City is a great town. It's growing. Uh, downtown is growing. It's evolving. It seems to be on the upswing, not like so many cities, which unfortunately seem to be on the downswing. So um, thanks so much for being on, and uh, please send my regards to your lovely wife. And uh, are you open today? No, we're... Uh uh, like I said, we are on the northern edge, but we are on the Bible Belt. I could be open, but no one would show up. <laughs> and, uh, we had staff over for a uh, a party last night, and uh, up here on the farm, and uh, and when it started getting light out, I said, "Hey, I got a radio interview. I got to go to bed." <laughs> now, uh, what do you have a website, Jonathan? Uh, we do. It's uh, just I'm sorry. It's drugstorerestaurant.com. Uh, you Google business drugstore, and that's Justice J U S. U.S., uh, there are reams of information about us out there. Well, thank you so much. I want to also thank Joe, of course, for engineering a lovely show. And uh, I want to thank White Oak Pastures for sponsoring us and for providing great grass-fed beef to people along the East Coast. And we will be back next week. Stay tuned for a live episode of Straight No Chaser with Katie Kiefer. Great talking to you, Patrick. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>